It's Wednesday, December 3rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Options, all the way from the Great White North, Mr. Jim Gillies. Welcome, sir. Thank you for having me back. Always a pleasure to see you. How cold is it up there right now? Uh, a, little cool, a little cooler than here. I'm, I'm not a big fan of right now. No. So, uh, I mentioned on yesterday's podcast, when Maddie Argusinger was here, I mentioned the, the member event that we had on Monday night in Old Town. And uh, we had a couple hundred members there. I walked into the event, uh, sort of a crowded uh, first floor, and I look around, and I saw Jim Gillies. But Jason, what went through my head was, boy, that guy looks a lot like Jim Gillies. But that, <laughs> interesting. That can't be Jim because Jim would have told me if he was going to be here. Oh, and I then see where later, this is going now. later I saw him again. I was like, oh, it actually is Jim. So, hey man, no, I, yeah, I went back through my email. You, you didn't send me an email. Yeah, yeah. No, no, you're coming. Thanks it was that. just it was a last minute kind of. <laughs> I actually knew he was coming, but I was putting together a report for one where I needed, you know, some of his professional insight. Yeah, Uh, we're going to talk fashion retail. We're going to talk food. We will dip into the full mailbag. Let's start with some earnings from Abercrombie and Fitch. They had warned previously on their third quarter results, and Jason, today it was made official. uh, Sales down in the U.S., sales down abroad, traffic to the stores is down, and yet. Shares of Abercrombie and Fitch up around four percent. How low are the expectations for this stock? Expectations for the stock are really, really low. I as, mean, it's as, teen retail, along with Mike Jeffries. I mean, that's that's a <laughs> dynamic duo right there. And I mean, Mike Jeffries is like the king of just stepping in it day after day after day. Right? He just he's he's the one that's, you know, he's saying all of those things about not targeting, you know. Overweight people—they're only for the cool kids. Yada yada yada. Just so he's he's Mike Jeffries, very... who no one in the world would confuse with, say, Brad Pitt. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm. I'll leave. I'll leave it at that. I think that was very well said. Um, so I, yeah. I mean, they're they're low expectations, and I mean, even with today's pop, I mean, the stock is trading somewhere around 19 times full year estimates. And yeah, sure, that sounds. Kind of cheap, but I mean, it it actually could be a lot cheaper. I mean, you see these retailers uh, come and go, and in teen retail in particular, we've seen a lot of a lot of these stories play out not not so favorably. I mean, I'm thinking of Aeropostale as one that's really uh, you know not worked out so well. And I, I think that the question you have to ask with Abercrombie and Fit because it's so targeted, because it's such a specific audience, um, is is you know where's the growth going to come from? And it's it's definitely not going to come from more stores. I mean, they are closing down stores more than they're opening them, really. Um, you know, through the years. And and the one thing I will say, the positive from all of this, because th- this was a pretty pretty bad earnings report. Uh, at least direct to consumer is improving. Like if you go back to 2010, direct to consumer represented about 10 percent of of overall sales. Now it's closer to 20 percent. So they are recognizing the fact that more consumers are going online. Uh, they can they can sort of help their margin structure out a little bit by by you know investing in that in that direct to consumer space. And so that's that's a positive. But I mean, you, you still look at the margin picture overall. Margins are getting squeezed. They have no pricing power really. I mean, I, I would argue they have a a CEO who's you know too polarizing for the company's own good. So you know, I mean, it, it, this is a very you're not going to buy this company for its growth prospects. If anything, it's going to be like a dirty value play, and it's just not dirty enough yet. What is it going to take for Mike Jeffries to leave as CEO? Because you look at, I mean, <laughs> pick, pick your time frame. 
one year, two years, five, ten years. This is a stock that is consistently losing to the market. So it probably would it would require either you know he 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 would have like a come to Jesus moment, which is you know highly unlikely. Uh, so then you'd have to probably depend on uh, private equity or some form of of investment there where. Uh, you know they have a little bit more of a say so in leadership. I'm thinking like uh, Lululemon and Goldman Sachs. I think played a part in sort of getting Chip Wilson to yeah, speaking uh, step of, aside. Uh, leaders who put their feet in it on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Chip Wilson from Lulu. Right, and so I mean I, I think that you can see a lot. There are a lot of parallels there. I think with, with Lululemon and in, in, in its leadership and, and Abercrombie and Fitch and its leadership. Um, I, you know I, I would not be investing in this company based on a thesis where where you know Jeffries is, is stepping down or stepping aside. Now if he did step down or step aside, would that make me more interested in the company? Probably not because teen retail is still just really it's it's just not a space that is is very dependable. I mean, they live very short lives and um you know, they're they're making good investments for the direct to consumer space and, and I commend them for that, but uh yeah, I I just keep on walking. Let's move on to another retailer reporting earnings. Asina Retail Group, which is the parent company of Lane Bryant, Catherine's Dress Barn, etc. Jim, this is almost the mirror image of Abercrombie and Fitch. First quarter profit higher than expected. They didn't lower full year no nope. full year guidance. Exactly. They actually reaffirmed it, they and did. the stock down a couple of percentage points today. What's going on? This is a frustrating one for me, um, and it's not teen real and teen retail. It's both tween retail because they own Justice. Yep, and they oh, also uh, they, this is justice. This is justice. I've uh, been there my share. Though <laughs> I was going to say Jason, the father oh of two young God, girls, yep. um, and I've got one, so I've been there my fair share as well. So you guys are doing your part to help hey. prop up this stock. Uh, I get a headache every time I walk into Justice. It's, <laughs> it's just noisy. So many, it's noisy. It's so many colors, and you know, I'm just old and crotchety. I imagine hell is probably like having to go through and just repetitively just do inventory in one of those stores. <laughs> exactly. That would be that would be brutal. So so they have all these concepts. They have Dress Barn, um, Maurice's, Lane Bryant, uh, Catherine's. None of them are setting the world on fire. Um, I think overall, same store sales were down about two percent, but that's really uh, being masked. The the retail, the bricks and mortar, were down four, um, whereas the direct to consumer, the e commerce, was up sixteen. Right? Um, they have been in the process. They they bought uh, what's called charming shops, which included Lane Bryant. And Catherine's and a couple of concepts which they've divested or closed. They bought that a couple years ago. And they have been, and this is a company that it's still arguably founder run. The founding family, the son is the CEO. The the family, uh, a couple other members are on the board. Uh, I think the founding family owns 20 to 25% of the stock. I mean, this is, it's got the hallmarks of, you know, long term foolish founder management that we like to have. And they bought when they bought Charming Shops, they I, they just decided they were going to spend hundreds of millions of dollars, every penny they were making, on coming up with this grand integrated retail concept. So all of the bricks and mortar fulfillment is at a one distribution center that they've been building, and all the the tech bells and whistles uh, in one state, and all of the e-commerce fulfillment is out of another center that they've been building, and they've been integrating the concepts. It's been a couple of wasted years, and 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 I can't shake the notion that they're not fighting the last war. You know that that here's this retailer that's they're going to be ready to to retail in 1999. <laughs> 
and 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 I say that with frustration because uh, it is a recommendation in Hidden Gems, our small cap service. Uh, we did a covered call, which has left us owning stock for uh, like two years now, I think, in uh, Motley Fool Options, which I run. And I mean, the stock is cheap. It's I think it's trading 12, 13 times this year's expected earnings. It's trading below five times EBITDA. Uh, it's a company that has demonstrated it can generate 350 to 450 million dollars a year in operating cash if they can ever get their operating or their uh, capex down to like the the 200 million dollar level this will be absurdly cheap but i just can't shake the notion that this might be the new normal and it goes nowhere but it's <laughs> it it sounds the way you describe it it sounds like a business that in part if they could just kind of get out of their own way Yep, they could start churning out some cash. Whereas with Abercrombie and Fitch, you're banking, or you're, I guess, you're crossing your fingers that Mike Jeffries gets out of his own way, which is never going to happen. <laughs> no. no, oh, I, I, I loathe Abercrombie and Fitch, so I'll put that out there. Um, Dress Barn, or as it's now called, a senior retail group. Um, I've liked the company for a number of years, and it's been, and uh, it's just been frustrating the last couple of years just to watch them. Like, oh, really? Again, we're gonna. I think the the stock is probably still dead money going into 2016, and I, again, I can't shake that notion that are we fighting the last war? Shares of Burger King worldwide up around three percent today, and I think it's because of the news that the Yumbo is back. Yumbo. And if you are old like me, you remember the Yumbo, which was discontinued in the mid 70s. This was a ham and cheese sandwich on a submarine like a hoagie bun with lettuce and tomato or lettuce and mayo etc etc i don't know i i i kind of want to give daniel schwartz the young ceo at burger king worldwide i want to give him the benefit of the doubt because while i don't own shares of burger king worldwide and i'm not likely to buy them anytime soon Unlike McDonald's, Jason, I look at this. I'm like, you know what? There's a new, young, dynamic CEO, and he's trying stuff. And why not? If you're Burger King, why not just try stuff? Hey, sure. I mean, create a little, uh, you know, a little buzz. Uh, McDonald's has the McRib, right? And I mean, that's something that they, you know, they, they release annually, I guess, for a couple of months. Maybe this is something that Burger King can use to create a little buzz of its own. Seems like it's got some pretty good hashtag activity on Twitter today. <laughs> it's I mean, a ham and cheese hey, sandwich. Who don't, don't like ham and cheese, right? I mean, it's like a pretty, it's pretty uh, standard sort of, of offering there. And, and given, uh, you know, given sort of the state of fast food today, uh, offering up a sandwich that seems to be or could, per, could be perceived to be a little bit better for you uh, might be worthwhile. Though I'll say it sounds like this thing has about 500 calories, which probably puts it right on par with their burgers. Maybe a little bit lower in fat count. I don't know, but uh, hey, you know, it it's, creates a little buzz. I thought it was funny how it sort of they they talk about how Burger King loyalists. Will will harken back to the day, you know, when when the Yumbo was on the menu. I'm like, really? Did they have, did, did Burger King have it, loyalists? It I mean, was I, discontinued in 1974. Right. I mean, right. it's been four decades, man. I'm like, what? So not only are you counting on loyal loyalists, you're counting on loyalists who had discretionary income to spend. From 1968 to 1974. Yeah. So you're so, looking for loyalists who are in their 60s. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like. I mean, so like I, I would certainly not put myself in the working loyalist boat. I, you know, I, I love a good ham and cheese sandwich. With that said, I can tell you, I ain't going to Burger King to get one. <laughs> Radio at fool.com is our email address. 
Got a uh, question from uh, Martin Hedborg in Sweden, actually in reference to the segment we do every week on the radio show, Stocks on Our Radar. Martin writes, why don't you have any international companies on your watch list? If H&M was listed in the U.S., wouldn't it be a favorite Motley Fool stock? It's currently growing at 18%, with a gross margin of 58%, while paying a dividend of 3%. Boy, I can't believe, I can't believe James Early hasn't touted this. Uh, a secret weapon. Uh, is uh, secret weapons are the very popular and super in super trend sensitive Sweden sub brands like Monk, I guess Monkey is how you would pronounce it M O N K I Weekday Cheap Monday C O S and other stores that they haven't pushed internationally and an online platform being introduced in selective countries. So speaking of retailers that have a presence in our house, H and M is another one of those yep. uh, that is is that solely women's clothing. No. It, no, I don't know. I mean, but my lovely wife has just done a great job outfitting our girls with their clothes. I'm, I'm actually I, that's pretty nice stuff, actually. Yeah, no, there's one. There's an H and M right down in Old Town, and I've popped in there a couple of times just get get some basic shirts. Um, uh, it's a great question. I, w- I will say in our defense, every once in a while, and it's often James Early who is is someone who will um, who will tout a I don't want to say tout who will present a stock on his radar that is. An international. Oftentimes, it's a utility. There's, there's some or a female condom maker. <laughs> no, or, no there's, there's the, um, there's the. I forget the name of it, but there's this, uh, the, the French uh, sewage company or water. Oh utility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget the name of it. But anyway, but to Martin's email, and his question. Let's close out today with one international stock to watch. It doesn't have to be a recommendation. It could just be like, hey, here's one that looks interesting. Here's one. To put on your radar. Absolutely, I've got one uh, based out of Buenos Aires, Argentina, um, and I, I've talked about it on the radio show before. Mercado Libre. It's a company I own shares personally. This is basically the e-commerce play of Latin America, and they are uh, really, you know, playing into that to that growing trend in e-commerce, uh, the, the internet penetration that continues to grow in, in Latin America. Playing into a, a middle class that is now taking over a more powerful a consumer, and uh, you know it, it doesn't hurt that eBay sees a lot of value in this company as well. They own somewhere in the neighborhood of 19% of the shares, outstanding as well. You know there's been some speculation out there as Alibaba, you know, might consider acquiring them at some point to grow their uh, global presence beyond China. But but any which way you look at it, I think the Mercado Libre is is one that just represents a terrific opportunity in, in really just a very early innings of, of a great long-term trend. And the ticker? Ticker is M-E-L-I. Jim? Well, uh, for Martin, I'm going to give, and, and as a token Canadian in the room, so all U.S. stocks for me are international <laughs> stocks. Yeah, no. no um, you can, with uh, Apple. You've got to go outside North America. Okay. Um, for Martin, in the spirit of uh, going with uh, a Swedish company, company is called Autoliv, ALV on the New York Stock Exchange. Autoliv is the predominant dominant manufacturer, uh, designer, manufacturer, implementer of automotive safety systems. So, Autoliv. So, we're talking seatbelts, we're talking airbags, all manner of airbags. They've really been getting over the last few years into what's called active safety. So, you know, sensors, you know, radars, uh, um, blind spot assist, that sort of thing. For you know, your, your higher end cars, your 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 2007 Toyota Corolla is not going to have this. Um, <laughs> but they are they're in every major auto manufacturer. So you know, they're in BMW, they're in Ford, they're in Volvo, they're in whoever you want. 
they probably have about a third, maybe 35% of the market for seatbelts and airbags. Um, the worldwide trend has been to greater safety content per vehicle over, well, always. And so they've really been able to take advantage of that. The stock, um, I've recommended it a number of times in options, and we also have it in Hidden Gems. Uh, I've I've not had a wreck on it for probably a couple of years now. I almost threw one on about a month and a half ago when the stock dipped to about ninety. Uh, it's now back over a hundred. About it's I, I think it's fairly valued, like ninety ninety five dollars. Uh, it pays a very nice dividend. They've had a really good history of growing their dividend, and they're right now they're um, they had a bit of a scare during the credit crisis. They actually didn't look like they were in any danger, but they had a piece of financing, some commercial paper that even though it was a small part of their debt and it looked like long-term debt, what was what it had to be rolled over every few months and what happened was Okay, that's not long term debt. <laughs> well, but but the way it was classified on the balance sheet was, you know, they it was classified as long term debt, but you had to like, you know, reset your price every six months or something. And so like when the commercial commercial paper markets froze this company went from like $62, you know, to 18, I think. I mean, wow. it just blew apart. And so they weathered that, but they really, they really had kind of a, they found religion basing on, on leverage. And so that I hope they found the new accountant. <laughs> well, they, they have been, they've been really, uh, I mean, they've just gone from uh, net debt position. They had a whole massive amount of cash, all the cash they've generated for the past like six, seven years now since the credit crisis They've just basically been stockpiling on the balance sheet, and they're finally starting to return it. And what they're doing is they paid an ever greater dividend, and they've also been uh, buying back a lot of shares because they have a certain leverage target they want to get to. And if they get there, it you know in a couple of years this could very easily be a stock that's in the hundred twenty five, hundred thirty dollar range. Plus, you're probably going to get about a three percent dividend out of it. So, all right, Jason Moser, Jim Gillis, thanks for being here, guys. Thank thanks. You. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for today's edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Rick Angdahl. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.